Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and before we go any further, we have to thank you, our audience, for putting us well over 7 million downloads now. So thank you so much for listening to the show and for all the great feedback we get, for sharing it with your friends. It means so much to us here at Typology. So before we said another word, I wanted to just make sure you all knew you were deeply appreciated. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, we have another fantastic episode for you today, part two of our two-part series with Becca Stevens, founder of Thistle Farms. And in this episode, Ian is actually walking Becca through the process of discovering her number. So regardless of where you are in the process, what number you are, what number your friends are, or your spouse is, you're going to find a lot of really great, helpful information in this podcast. So I know you're going to continue to enjoy this part two in our two-part series. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Typology Podcast. That's at T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y Podcast. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Hey, let's get on with it and join part two of our two-part series with your host, Ian Crom. Sixes are called the loyalists. And the, the loyalists have a, um, a need to feel safe and secure so that's a primary need for them they tend to be worst case scenario thinkers and they they but but interestingly and this is something you mentioned the word authority earlier so let me just peg throw something out at you there are two types of sixes it's the only number that has two variants but i would say that sixes just tend to run between two poles authority is a big issue for sixes Mm -hmm. who's in charge they want to know if the authority figure is trustworthy, not, you know, tr- not trustworthy. They tend to be suspicious of authority figures, and they, they kind of vacillate between wanting to uh, either rebel against the authority figure or submit to the authority figure. Because in their mind, okay, you're just shaking your head now. No, nope, not even thinking about that All right, one. Sevens. But the other thing is I don't want to ever, like, live safe. Oh, okay. There you go. I, I, I don't want to actually, I think I could eliminate some of these numbers really fast with you because I know you okay. well, but I'm just giving it all to you, right? Gotcha. So sevens are called the enthusiasts. Oh, I am very enthusiastic. Oh, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that. So sevens um, have, they, they, they have a need to um, uh Pursue adventure, escapades, fun. It's all about fun. It's all about, in all in service to, avoiding difficult feelings. No. Okay. I like difficult feelings. You do? Uh-huh. I don't like them in me. I like them in other people. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be there for other people and their difficult feelings. So empathy is a big value for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, like I can cry with anybody. I can cry okay. with anybody on this planet. If you start crying right now, I could cry with you. I've seen it. And I can feel it. I mean, like I can feel it in my bones. Okay. When my husband's back, when Marcus's back goes out, my back hurts. Wow. That's not probably not good. Don't, I probably shouldn't have said that to you. <laughs> Don't judge. Remember, y'all, we're not judging on no, this one. No, there's no judgment. Okay. This is a judgment-free zone. Okay, eights are called the challengers. Mm-hmm. 
Eights um, have a need to be strong, to assert strength and control over the environment and other people in order to mask uh, weakness or vulnerability. I feel like I want to present strong, but I feel like I do that through vulnerability. Okay. So it's not to mask vulnerability, but vulnerability, I like being strong, and I think vulnerability is the path to that. Do you think, what were you like, though, as a 25-year-old? Would you have said that about yourself then, or would you have just said... Well, I was in divinity school, and they really praised, you know, when you're doing your spiritual autobiography and all that. I mean, I never had any of that stuff. I mean, I was so... I mean, our whole family was so broken open when my dad was killed by the drunk driver. My mom was 35 with five kids and thrust into poverty. And she was really, really strong. But she was also... um, you know, she was vulnerable with us. Right. So I feel like, I feel like I don't see those as, as opposing. So I'm probably not an eight. So far I'm sticking well, with three. We, we don't, we don't, we don't know. know. Yet. We don't know yet. Okay. But I definitely think I like to present, like, listen, I got this. Like, you know, like if something's going bad in the community of Thistle Farms, I will be the rock that you can come to. I'll be the lighthouse shining while you're in your rocky boat. Mm-hmm. So eights are very concerned with matters of justice. Yes, then I am an eight. Well, maybe. Okay. Other, other numbers would be not necessarily okay. ones can be, uh, sixes can be. But for eights, fairness, justice, um, standing up for the underdog. Yes. Is a gigantic theme. I love that. They, they just have never seen an underdog that they don't want to champion. Yep. Um, they are notoriously blunt. They come right out with what they're thinking. Sometimes people experience them as being steamrollers or going over them too fast. Um, they have trouble, actually, one, a friend of mine used to say that eights have to learn to be part of the band in order to lead the, before they lead the parade. Oh. I mean, they tend to get way out ahead of the band sometimes, you know. Um, they are... Uh, the, get a new band. They have more <laughs> 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 they have more energy than any other number on the Enneagram. They have more stamina. I may be an eight with a three shadow. <laughs> Is that a thing? Well, now threes and eights. We'll, we're going to circle back to this because okay. there are some similarities. So far, between I like three and, and eights. eights. So nine, you're not a nine, but okay. I'm, I just tell you that right now, okay. people. I'm sorry if I just typed somebody, but nines are called the peacemakers. Um, I don't know. Maybe you are a nine. Who knows? But a nine is somebody who uh, has a need to uh, avoid conflict at all costs. Mm-mm, I'm not a nine. No, you're not a nine. No. no I figured that out. No. So of all those unconscious motivations, which, are the, which the ones? The three really? and eight are the ones that uh, resonate with the most. Okay, so three and eight. Does resonate a good word for Enneagram? Use or do you say something else? Is there a language word? No, you would just say, I most identify with the unconscious motivation of threes and eights. I most identify with the unconscious motivations of three and eight. All right, so let me ask you a couple questions. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going to hone in a little bit now. Do you care what others think of you and what you do, or do you really not care very much? I do care. Tell me about that. I mean, early on in this conversation, I talked about community. And that is one of my big motivators is to, I mean, if you look at my life, you know, who is a chaplain for 25 years at a small chapel? Unless you just love community and want people to be together. And I know that if you're always getting your way, you're not in community. And I want there to be community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really do think that is the entity that, while it's somewhat out of fashion now, community is... Um, the way the spirit moves, the way that the beloved community is realized, the way the soul force, ahimsa, changes the world. Mm-hmm. It's through community. So I do care, and I want people to feel um, a part of it and help lead it and to um, be bought into it. So I definitely care what people think. Of you? Yes. I mean, I want them, uh, yes, of me and of the work that I'm a, my life is about. Mm-hmm. And is it important for you that others perceive you as successful? Some people. 
Not all people. Would you rather be liked or admired? Are those exclusions? I mean, you have to pick one. I yeah. I mean, I think they're different. Okay, let me think. Um, I don't know. I think when people admire me, I always think they're admiring the work because really that's the part of me that they know. Right. I mean, for the public part of me, I think people know my work, but for my, um, I don't need my family to admire me or my close friends, but, um, I don't, I want people to admire me because I do think then they respect the work and they respect the things that I'm living for. Right. Do you sometimes find that you over identify with the role that you, you occupy in the world? Like you, 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 you confuse who you are with. Becca Stevens, founder of Thistle Farms, mm-hmm. the things you've accomplished, mm-hmm. all the honorary doctorates, all the that. Do you over identify with those things? Sometimes? You know, I, I try. I really, really try to know what my circle is when I need to identify and when I don't. Sometimes it is like you're going into a community and you need to raise seventy five thousand dollars that night for this startup. And that's how that is who I am for that night. I'm not that when I get on the plane and I'm heading home, you know, then I'm, then yeah. I'm done with it. Are you able to fit into tons of different groups of people, types of different types mm-hmm. of people? And for this, I don't, don't hear this as being a, a judgment or a negative, okay? Uh-oh. The, abil- <laughs> the ability to kind of shape shift. Like you can walk into a room and figure out who do I need to become in this room in order to win the admiration and the confidence and everything else of the people in this room. Yes, I can do that. Okay. And it comes I don't with- hear that as judgment, by the way. Okay. Because I really think that is... Um, at least in parts of my world, that's a good skill set to have because I'm going like, am I going with Marcus to Sony records? Am I going into the prison to talk to a group of women? Am I, you know, preaching on Sunday morning? Those are all really different things. Right. So when you go into the prison, can you take on the affect and the, the language and the demeanor of everybody else in the room and then go to another room full of bankers who you hope are going to give money and then sort of maybe sort of shape shift in order to connect with that group of people? Not as well. I'm doing much better in prison than I do at the Sony record party. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, right. And Marcus says it's Tourette's almost like I'm more prisony acting at the Sony thing than I am in prison sometimes because I almost have like a an adverse reaction to that sometimes okay. I mean because I don't I don't I mean I can I can I feel like I, I I can shape shift a little bit but sometimes I'm very um not able to do that. Right. <laughs> if it's gonna like you know like if if he invites me I mean, or somebody invites me and it's a conservative evangelical group you know probably in the first couple sentences I'll cuss and Marcus says why do you do that and I said I think in the end, they're not going to like me, and I'd like to get it out of the way, like at the beginning. Like, I get nervous that that's going to happen. Do you, but I mean, at some level, sometimes doing that is another way, right, of winning admiration. It's like, well, you know, it's a little bit of a... Maybe it is. Yeah. Now, now so it can, as is the case with, with every type, your superpower can also be your shadow. Right. If you over rely on your ability to wear different masks in different arenas, if you over if you over rely on that skill, then you can become kind of a kaleidoscope of masks and you don't actually know who you are. Right. right? And and you can sort of fall into what's called the passion of the three, which is deceit, which is not deceiving other people so much as yourself, because you've worn so many different masks that you don't after a while kind of know who you are, what you mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, there can be a redeemed side to that superpower of being able to be adaptable in different situations. And there's a dark side to it. If it's, if, if it's just running on autopilot and you don't know it and you're just a salesperson all the Mm -hmm. time, you know, how afraid of failure are you? No, um, that was probably be, um, more of the shadow side of me versus I don't know who I am or a mask because that I feel like. I'm pretty true to myself most of the time on that. But I would definitely say, I mean, I've written a book on it, on the fear of failure. You know, when I started a cafe, it was going to fail. It was the Thistle Farms Cafe. And we weren't getting funding and it wasn't going well. And I remember going like, oh, this is going to work. Like, I don't care what I have to do. Mm. 
I can't let this fail. And if it became like a thing for me, this was probably um, maybe five or six years ago. And it scared me how I felt about it. And I really had to do some work around it going, you know what, this is no, now it's not about the cafe and getting these women jobs. Now it's about you're in this deep mm. and you don't know how to get out. Right. Like gracefully. Right. And it's part of that. And this is, you know, you know, a tender question, but is part of that some, some piece of it. I don't want to fail because I don't want to look like a person who's a loser. Right. For sure. That's right. part it's not of just, it. I don't want to let these people down. No, no. I'm saying it's, for sure. That's part of it. That's the shout that, that speaks to my shadow side more than probably, um, again, the mask thing feels like I'm pretty self-aware on that, but I have an absolute, the abs not absolute but i have a pretty deep sense of my own fears about failure okay and i have also i mean if you want to look on the shadow side of it and i don't know maybe a lot of people have this and maybe a lot of your listeners have it too but i think because so many of my people in my family died young that i always think like this is my one shot i mean like I never imagined myself really getting old and like I had to do things pretty quickly and do them well because I didn't know how long I was going to be around. That's what, and, and you know, my husband reassures me all the time that now I've lived too long to die young. <laughs> 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 so I can let that go. But I think I had that deep fear. I mean, that was my reoccurring nightmare mm. was over and over. I mean, I died a thousand times when I was a little girl. Mm. Do you, are you really in touch with your feelings? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you really good at being able to name your feelings? Now, explain to me again what a feeling is. Yeah. <laughs> no, like what? Well, I mean, I think, you I know, feel sad, I feel happy, I yeah, feel... Yeah, I mean, are, yeah. are you really good at sort of even sort of naming the nuance of those feelings? You know what I mean? Like sad, you know, it's, mm-hmm. well, I feel kind of wistful or I feel... You know what I mean? There are variants of sad. Mm-hmm. There are variants of glad. I mean, are you pretty fluent in the language of feelings Mm. i think in the right safe spaces i'm very good at it and then in other times i think um you know i think of myself almost like a farmer i really do i mean i named it thistle farms for reasons people who go out and water and weed no matter what you're feeling and sometimes i think for me like i don't have to feel inspired to do it that would make me crazy i think that's how people burn out because it's like i'm not feeling it so if i'm not feeling it then i don't have to i somehow can't do it but i mean i've preached through not feeling it i have buried people not feeling it and i still do it and i think there's some grace in that but when i'm in a safe space i can get to my feelings are you a super goal-oriented person who uh, is known for being very productive? Yes. You have to-do lists. It's important. I don't have a to-do list. I have it. I do it all before sunrise. <laughs> but are you a person who's like, okay, Before I got- the sun rose today, I did laundry. I cleaned off my countertop, emptied out my inbox, walked and fed the dog, and brought my husband coffee before Whoa. the sun rose. Nice. Yeah. I'm saying, like, it's not a to-do list. But, but is accomplishing <laughs> things very important to you? I just do it. Okay. Did you, do people tell you sometimes you need to slow down and relax and chill out because you just work too hard? Yes, all the time. Do I pe- like that. No, <laughs> okay. Do no, you- I don't like people thinking I'm busy. I'm not that busy. But I'm definitely like, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't bother with to-do lists. Do people, have people ever told you... You know, Becca, you're on such a scramble and doing so much and never stopping working and and you don't realize when you're running people over. Mm. I definitely have run some people over. Yeah. Without anybody telling me that, I know that. And I have to go back and repair stuff. Do people maybe sometimes say that you're not as in touch with their feelings with their feelings? Yeah. I'm not in touch with their feelings? Yeah. Like, um, usually when we run people over, we're not really thinking about other people's feelings. Yes, that's you know? what I'm saying. I was saying, I was just clarifying if it was their feelings you're yeah, asking feelings. about now. Uh-huh. Okay. And are you able to, like, sometimes in, the, in service to getting something done, 
doing something, accomplishing uh-huh. something? Are you able to sort of remove your own feelings from the equation and set them aside? Um, because they're going to slow you down. If you if you continue to, it's like, man, I can't. I don't have no time for feelings. They got to go over here because I got a lot to do right now. Well, what I don't want. This is. I mean, I just had this. This is perfect example. Somebody was talking. We're opening up a business in another part of the world, and somebody was starting to list all the problems. And in my head, what I'm like, I don't want to hear any of it. I don't want to hear all that. Um, our job is to figure out what it can look like. And then they're, they're, the other people's job is going to be to figure out all the problems with it. <laughs> right. We don't have to deal with that. We just have to get it going, and then they can deal with all that. And they were like, that, we can't do it that way. And that is like, oh, my gosh, I have to stop and go, okay, now I can listen to you and be open to what you're saying is a problem <laughs> and try to walk through it instead of like, you're starting with a problem and we haven't even finished the dream. Mm. Right. Which is what hap- what I think is like you're trying to kill it in committee and you're not letting it get to the floor vote. Right. You know. Right. Okay. So. But I'm, I really do try to recognize it, but I don't do it very well sometimes. I will say for sure. Right. And to anybody from Thistle Farms that's listening, I know you're laughing right now going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But you're Because you've got a ton of people at Thistle Farms that love you. I right. mean, and you go over there and you fill a house talking about it, you know, so I know they're laughing. That's all. Go ahead. So you a great salesperson? I am. You are, aren't you? I'm selling you right now and you don't even know it. <laughs> I bet money yes, I walk I out of here with a check. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> oh, you've gotten, you've gotten checks out of me before, man. I, uh, there's no You know why, though? Because I really think, this is the honest truth. I'm a salesperson because I believe that is mm. part of the important work of justice. And, like, I feel like that is such an important person in the community that can go out and tell the story and unabashedly, unabashedly, unabashedly say, you know, we need you to help. And people want to help. And so, like, yeah, I can do it for sure. It's not Mm -hmm. my favorite thing is to actually do the ask. My favorite thing is to tell the story and for people to intuit that that means (laughs) they should help. Right. But sometimes, um, but I'm definitely willing to ask and sell. Right. All right. Buy your Thistle Farms candles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're complicated. Thank you. Go back to when you were 25 and tell me which of these two types you would identify with okay. most. I have a need to assert power and strength over the environment uh, in order to mask vulnerable feelings okay mm-hmm. or i have a need really a deep need to be successful to have others see me as successful and to avoid failure at all costs b do you did you grow up or in a world or at age 25 did you believe that people are valued more for what they do than for who they are inside at 25, did I think people were valued more for what they do than what they were inside? What they inside? accomplish, what they achieve than for who they are inside. Are you talking about other people? Yeah. No, for yourself. Or oh. just in general. That's a worldview. Did you, do you think you believe that? Okay. I didn't, don't think I believe that at all. Ever. That people were valued. I never thought people were valued more for what they achieved no. than who they were. Did you were. see the world, though, as valuing yes. people more for? Yes. Okay. And so did, as a result, did you feel pressure to achieve? I don't know that I felt pressure. I just, I had stuff I wanted to do so bad. Okay. I mean, remember at 25 now, I'm in, I'm actually, I just am getting, no, I'm, I'm in divinity school. I've fallen in love with Marcus. I mean, it was a really, really happy time. And I'm with all these beautiful divinity school students, you know, trying to right. figure out how to make their way in the world. Right. It was a, I mean, it was a good, that was a good time. Right. Now, if you go back to about 12 or 13, that was the messed up time. Okay. But I don't want to on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't know. I have. I just remembered the other day. So all the abuse pretty much had, I mean, the physical sexual assault had stopped around the age of nine, as mm-hmm. best I can remember. And there was a young woman who had been kidnapped in Nashville at the age of 12. Her name was Marcia. 
And it was big news back in the day. And I remember I have this very vivid memory of um, walking out to my porch. We had like a little covered porch on this dead-end street. And I had to walk to a bus stop to catch a bus to go to school. That was back when they were busing everybody. And I walked out onto the porch and I heard a helicopter. And I'm like, I think they're after me. The most paranoid, unrealistic, crazy feeling. Like, why would a helicopter be after me? There's no reason. I was dead afraid. I mean, like, I couldn't go out. I couldn't go to school. I couldn't get on the bus. There was trauma at the school. There had been trauma in my life. There was trauma in the community. And I remember thinking, um, the only place I'm safe is if I can just go inside and lock the doors and never come out. And then I remember thinking, you'll, you will die. If this is how you live, you will die if you're afraid. And thinking, I have to go back out. No matter how dangerous or how scary or unsafe it is, got to go conquer it. I can't just go back out and be afraid of it. I have to go back out and be a player and be a changer in this world. Mm. So it is safe for people. And by God, I mean, that was a motivator for my whole life. I mean, why else, you know, when you're 29, 30 years old, are you thinking, I'm going to establish safe communities for women? That's what I'm going to do with my ministry. So that's how deep that was. So 25 was fun. 12 and 13... The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Not so much. Right. So, do you, growing up, and uh, did you see a world that was a hostile place in which um, the world operated by a might makes right place where it was important to be strong and, you know, exude strength to the world as if to say, don't screw with me. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Um, and and, and uh, to, to put forth this energy of strength in order to um, fend off what you perceived was a, a, a world that like would want to control you. Like it was really important for you to be more in control of, you know, of things than the world to be in control of you. So my mom was the director of a community center. She worked with poor children all over Nashville for 25 years. I mean, I grew up in a community center. And she was she was my hero. Mm-hmm. She was I mean, she was amazing and she um her power was in her compassion. She had oceans of compassion within her. And she was strong and she was compassionate at the same time. So I think it wasn't about, like, might, like, I have to win. It was might, like, I have to, um, I have to help protect other people. Okay. Because the world is unsafe. I want to make sure there's safe places. Okay. And I felt that from, from little kid on on. Right. Like, so they can, I mean, they set fire. I remember to the community center, and it was like, we were there the next day cleaning it out and getting ready to rebuild. Like, you got to be strong. You can't just sit at home and let the ashes smolder. Right. So let me just throw some phrases out at you. Okay. And you tell me if they resonate. I have a deep need for friendship, but it tends to be, you know, I have a, when it comes to close friends, I have a, a small yes. cadre of people. In yes. It, but I'm very loyal. I'm a lifelong friend. Mm. Um, I have a few lifelong friends, but I would say like my small group of folks have um, really been like kind of post-marriage versus pre-marriage. Like that seemed like my life changed a lot over those years with three kids. And, but after that, after all the kids and all that, those folks have stayed around. 
You'll give a friend a shirt off off your back. Would you do that? Yes, I'm wearing a shirt off my friend's back right now. <laughs> no, I'm saying you would give a shirt, your own shirt, to somebody else off your back. I would definitely do it. I do it all the time. I give away my jewelry, my shoes, my shirt, anything. Right. Without thinking about it, it doesn't even have to be a friend. Um, do you? Um, how important is it for you? I mean, I know fairness and justice are huge themes in your life. Would people describe you as a protector? Yes. A defender? Yes. Okay. Are those very important ideas to you? Ideas? Yeah. Are those important themes in your life? Being a important protector themes. and a defender? Yeah. I feel like they're not ideas. I feel like they're a way of life mm-hmm. to be a protector. So I another like one would be, here's another descriptor. You're an outstanding leader. You hold communities together and you're really good at strengthening the weaker, weaker members of a community. Sometimes. I want to be. Okay. I don't always do that. Yeah, but I see that you are that. So okay. I'm going to go against it. Okay. That may be a little bit of you not being able to say what I see. Okay. But I see that as being a theme for you. Um, you I will love, sh- love people. Yes, you do. I, know I do. That. I love people. Like That makes me weepy to think about like people who don't find a place in a community, how bad that would be for them. Mm. I can actually see that in your eyes right mm-hmm. now, that that really moves you. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I am that. Okay. So... Let's talk about happy things about this number. Don't get all seven on me. Now, so um, you're good at showing feelings within a close group. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much, really, pretty much in a, a close group, more than just widely, you know. Um, and uh, to be vulnerable, people kind of, for you to be really vulnerable with someone, they kind of have to earn it a little bit. Yes. Okay. Um are you do you think people are listening to this and they're all starting to nod because they all think they know what it i mean maybe like, i mean people who may, may, may they probably heard where i'm going that's what uh, i'm saying kind of, am i I've the been, only person that this is a, like this is like a mystery thing for me and no one else no but, but <laughs> i mean that's normal because a lot of people who really know the enneagram are uh-huh. listening to my questions and they know where i'm going okay that's I will what say i'm that. saying that's not, right. the only person that is, this is going to be like a reveal for is me <laughs> maybe so um do you sometimes test your friend's loyalty? No. Never? Uh-uh. Okay. Uh, Is that the wrong answer? Do you love the excitement of a righteous struggle? Like a struggle for the truth, uh, on a quest for th- fairness. Like, do you really enjoy the struggle, being mm-hmm. in it? I like being in it, yes. Okay. Uh, do you like the sort of the excitement of it? Um. No. Really? I like. I like being in it. I can think of like several times like being overseas and um, in some places that were pretty sketchy and thinking this is really important. This is the right thing to do. I'm glad I'm not by myself in this little situation I've gotten myself into and don't necessarily love that part of it. I don't like it when it feels like, oh, my gosh, we've gotten ourselves in an unsafe situation. Now we got to get out. You're pretty good with conflict. Conflict? Um, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, have, have you ever been accused of being too much or too loud? Too yes. much. Like too big, too loud, too much. Yes. That's probably been a theme growing up for you. Um, not life. too loud, but too much. I would say I haven't been too loud, but I've been too much for people. You don't shrink down much. I mean, you don't shrink back from people or things or problems, right? I don't think so. Okay. Um, do you like? Do you have a basic fear of your uh, of your intentions being misunderstood? Yes, you do. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> now he's asking leading questions. Is that what he no, does to people? No, no, they no, come no. in here and they get this. Do you? Can you feel easily betrayed? No. Betrayed? Uh, yeah. Like, how do you do with, with maybe yes abandoned? Like oh, abandonment is my biggest thing. Oh, tell me about that. Talk more about that. Talk more about that. I'm going to lay down on this now. Make it a couch. Well, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. When when one of your parents is traumatically taken from you at a very early age, and it's your first memory, abandonment's going to be your thing. And I chose Marcus. Like one of my favorite qualities about my husband is how loyal he is. Mm. I always like he would not abandon, you know, a three legged dog out in a desert. He oh, would I know. Carry I've, seen, I've seen him with your dog every Sunday, man. I, I, he's got Instagram pictures of him and the dog. I mean, he's like the most loyal person, and I think I trust him, hmm. you know, and trust of especially relationships and men in my 20s was, again, not one of my strengths. So 
abandonment is my it it was it was the operating fear mm. for sure did you experience it as when someone abandons you or what you perceive as abandonment though do you sort of experience it as betrayal of a kind does it does it make you mad what does it mean no i don't think I, yeah it makes me mad like if i think somebody's done something horrible i think it's bad but what i mean when you feel abandoned by somebody um does it feel like a betrayal no it feels like a heartache okay it feels like a horrible old heartache that i've known my whole life mm-hmm. okay you're really looking at me like a psychiatrist right now stop well, i'm a therapist it's true <laughs> But, but, but you're doing it over the reading glasses. It's making me a nervous <laughs> wreck. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Because here's the, here's the thing right here is that, you know, I have set myself up in situations so that I'm always pastoring people who are leaving. Hmm. And I think that was so not on purpose on purpose. Right. That I could go through it again and again, that I would be with people who would get better and leave. Whether they're college students, I'm a college chaplain, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Or Thistle Farms, two years you graduate and you move on with your life, so you fall in love with people and they go Mm -hmm. as a pastor. And I think that that's helped heal some of those wounds. It's like, oh, my gosh, they can go and it's going to be okay. What I've loved about this conversation um, is I hope it's what it's reminding people of is that people are complicated, that people are more than a type. Mm-hmm. that um, the Enneagram is uh, an imprecise model of personality. It has to be because we can't capture a human being with a type. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what I always say is that that each of these types is a low resolution picture mm. of an interior world, right? It, it, it's not super clear. It's not super easy. It's messy. This thing is messy. Mm. But once you do the work and you really can hone in on which of these types is yours, you could, do you see how it can start to really help you do some yeah. work, right? So what I'm hearing in you, big themes, three is a, is a, is a theme for you. Um, eight is a theme for you, for sure. Um, you, you have some conversation around fear, uh, which for you could be a little bit of counterphobic six. Uh, you have some features of that. Um, I I actually wondered to myself earlier today before you came in, there's a thing called a, a one-to-one four. Because it's, but again, it's complicated because I do, you said earlier, I don't have, I don't identify with the whole shame thing. I don't know if you've worked it out or not, but I don't know anyone who's been a survivor who hasn't dealt with shame. I mean, did you deal with Oh, shame? for sure. I mean, there was a point, Ian, there was a point after I had opened our second home at, um, um, in Nashville, and I had two kids pregnant with the third. Marcus was on the road a ton. And I became really overwhelmed, just overwhelmed. And one of the things that happened was I started losing I mean I always lose things but I'm always losing everything so I couldn't even get to work I couldn't get the kids anywhere I couldn't find my car keys I couldn't find the checkbook couldn't find I mean basic things that I would need to function in my day and then um, I went through a period where I was getting hives I I had hives just would just pop up on my arms and legs that much kind of just awful stress and I was like I'm not well I'm really not well, and I don't know what's going on with me. So I went to um, go talk to a therapist about it and begin to figure out, like, what is going on? And what they did was the very first thing was I went through a series of hypnosis. I just I went and got hypnotized for a while to get relaxed enough to even figure out what was going on inside me. I was so wired. And it really was all of the work around trauma and the still the shame I was carrying in it and the fear or why it was coming out then, you know, in addition to having a son who was exactly my age when it's all started for me, the world fell apart for me, and working around a lot of women who were carrying that story, you know, worse, mm-hmm. times a hundred. 
And it was like, I have to start figuring out that story so that story's not controlling me. And I have to be able to tell it, and I have to be able to understand it, and I have to unpack it. And I would say now, you know, 25 years later, it's like there really isn't shame around that for me. I feel like I can see gifts that happen through that. I can see my innocence. I can have compassion for my childhood. I've told it a bajillion times and I've written about it and my kids we've had beautiful conversations around it I really don't know that shame is a motivator for me anymore Mm -hmm. so that's just doing the work right I I think I mean what is so powerful about this conversation is and I want people to hear this like sometimes well first of all you've had you're you're a trauma survivor I understand that so am I that makes typing very complicated because there are so many overlays and because growing up you had to adapt and draw on coping strategies of lots of different types in order to survive Mm. right and so typing for you is a little bit more difficult right it it was for me we just had to adapt so much that to be it's just very hard to sort of go automatically oh it's very clear you're this or you're Mm -hmm. that sometimes people who have adhd people automatically go oh they're sevens you know what I mean? They're because they just they've got monkey mind. It's like no, they have ADHD, but they're not a seven. They may be a four with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Right. But so there's another condition in the mix that's making it hard. I know or, you think I'm ADHD. No, too. I don't. But it, yes, but, you do. Well, a little bit. But if you <laughs> but if you have bipolar disorder, for example, yeah. people could say, oh, you're a four because you're melancholy and dramatic yeah. and this, or you may have a borderline personality disorder might look like a four. Um, or it may be, or the mood spring, mood, mood swings of a bi- person with bipolar disorder looks like a force. So people just automatically peg them as that. And it's wrong. Yeah. It, you have to be much more nuanced and thoughtful when you're doing the Enneagram mm. to, to not be, um, put it this way, don't be, uh, make the mistake of typing someone on the basis of behaviors. Look at those motivations. And what I'm hearing, mm. if I were you, I can't leave today going, oh, I know for sure Becca's this. Mm-hmm. I can't. There's, because it's, but what would you put your money on? Are you pressing me hard? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you an initial, but I, I want it's provisional, and okay. I, I reserve the right to change my Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. Okay. I want you to whenever you want um, to. You, you sound to me like a social eight, and I'll tell you what that's like. Remember that list I was just reading to you a few seconds ago? Mm-hmm. That was a social eight. Social eights, very concerned about fairness, very concerned about justice. They have no problem pushing back against authority. They tend to be, they actually sometimes view the authority figure as being not entirely trustworthy. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't mind going up against authority in service to defending the underdog. I love that. I'll right. take that. You, I know there's the, a shadow the, side that you fix. Well, them. they can be. Yeah, you, you for know, sure. So Martin Luther King was an eight. But so possibly is Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. It just depends. Mm. You know what I mean? It can have, it can be healthy or unhealthy. No, it can be healthy or unhealthy. It can be redeemed or unredeemed. Yeah. It can be um, when it's filled with love and kindness and goodness and compassion. It can be, AIDS change the damn world. They do. They make big decisions. Um, They tend to operate from their, um, from their gut. They're very body-oriented, body types. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they just come right from the gut. Um, which is, now earlier you said, well, I'm more of a thinker type. Well, you made me pick. I said it all comes up at the well, same time. Well, it doesn't mean you're not a thinker, but <laughs> but it, but I would say that eights are gut-oriented people. Yeah. You know? But I have seen you operate a lot from the gut. Yeah. I do think you know? it all comes, but I don't know when it's my gut and when it's my heart and when it's my head sometimes. I just know I, I know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, that sounds intuitive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, I just, you know, I just know it's right. I mean, it's right. like, it's not like I've really thought it through. I think it's right. I've written it down. I've done a lot of processing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm just doing it out of my feelings. I, I've seen you a lot of times be like, oh, yeah, we definitely need to do that. And you make a big decision. And you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. faster than a lot of people m- might make it. Eights are big decision makers. They'll make big decisions yeah. uh, very, very quickly. I uh, make decisions very quickly. Okay. Um, I would call social eights not the challengers, which is what eights are typically called. I would call them the defenders or the protectors. They tend to have a very warmish, a much warmer side than a regular sort of uh, than what's called a self-preservation eight or a one-to-one eight. I would say that they are they're, you're very, very strong. 
um, but you're 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 also very very tender. It's a little bit harder sometimes to in a very powerful way to let that tenderness out. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes the strength masks the mm-hmm. tenderness, but people always feel like you have their back, and they always feel like and there's a tender tender side to you, but there's also it's it's, it's got a powerful strength overlay. Now there's a lot of beauty in the eight, and there's a lot of danger in the eight. You do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of shadow, and there's a lot of beauty. So the journey, I would just encourage you to, you know, I, I can see some of the three stuff, but threes and eights get confused because they're, they're part of, they're the, th- they're the three most assertive numbers on the Enneagram, aggressive numbers. Which ones? Three, sevens, and eights. Oh. So it's not surprising to me that, that the three thing resonates with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were going to raise your money, I'd say you were at eight with a seven wing. That's what that's called. I know maybe that doesn't, you don't know what that is yet, but we can talk offline again about it. Mm-hmm. But, but. When you know these things about you, some of the wisdom in the Enneagram can help you live into the most beautiful part of the eight and slough off the stuff that is not so great. And you'll be able to spot it when it starts to go into gear. But you've done a lot of work. You've been through, uh, you've had to deal with a lot of trauma. So as a, I think you're a pretty healthy, integrated eight. Um, That's my initial thought. What do you think? I totally take it. All right. I feel I feel better because I think um, I like I love the language around the um, I love the language around living in a space where you can appreciate the strengths and recognize the shadows. I love that language. Yeah, and man, I mean, you gotta to be a whole human being. You gotta own both. Yeah. You know, you got to own both. And if you don't own the shadow, it owns you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it will drive a lot of the behaviors that the Enneagram would say, man, let's get free of those. Let, let's get it all out on the table and, and sort it out and live into the most beautiful expression of who we were made to be. It's been fun. I've loved it. Isn't it fun? Yes, it's Anthony, been very good. Anthony, have you had a good time? I've had a good time. <laughs> man. So you asked me. So everyone listening, you know, I don't like to type people, but she she pushed me into That's it right. and said, "Okay, That's what right. would you put your money on?" Uh, I'm, but if if I were to tell you to leave and look at other numbers, uh-huh. I tell you three. I see where you're saying it, but I don't. I haven't picked up that energy around you so much. Yeah. I would say look at one to one fours, because but I'm not sure about that. But I, but the shame thing, I was a little. Um, it's fascinating to me because but because you do have shame in the background, but it's caused by trauma. It's a lot mm-hmm. of trauma, shame-related trauma. Fours, it may be related to trauma, but it just may be part of who they are. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they just seem to struggle with You just with want shame. me to be the same number as you. Yeah, baby. Aww. Um, I would say, you know, there's what's called the counterphobic six, but because you have strong features of it, but, the six, but that number can also often be confused with eights, mm-hmm. right? So, by the way, threes, counterphobic, I mean, uh, one-to-one fours, counterphobic sixes, and eights that is not unusual for me to go through those numbers and think to myself yeah well those numbers can get confused with each other right misidentified but based on what you said i would say eh, sounds socially to me go go read and figure it out for yourself because only you can self-verify and name your own type i can't name it for you You got to own whatever type it is that's the truth for everybody nobody else can label you or type you or whatever it is that you worry about only you can can self-verify you know what i mean i have a question sure am i allowed to ask a question oh yeah so my question is when you go out in the world and you're doing these lectures all over and you're teaching people what is the hope when they walk away like when they walk away from your time with them what is your hope for them wow that's a whole episode but i'll try and make it short um i want people to live wide awake in the world I want, I mean, remember all the mystics said, you know, if you had to boil down all the mystics teachings, it would come down to wake up, Mm. just wake up, wake up to your beauty, wake up to your shadow, become whole, um, move wisely through the world, become aware of the fact that uh, of how you see the world, but also recognizing that, oh, guess what? Other people see the world entirely differently than I do. Learn to appreciate difference. Um, 
Mm. Uh, take this information into the world so that you can grow in compassion and empathy for others because you are becoming familiar with the idea that other people um, see the world differently than you do. And it, it suddenly gives you so much compassion and empathy, like, oh, that's why we're not connecting mm. or that's why you you act, think and feel that way. And it's so different from me. And and um, so it gives you a rich appreciation for other people and compassion. You know, I I. I I feel so strongly that we live in such a riven, polarized, unhappy world right now. And, and what I want people to realize is, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. We, we can learn to listen to each other. We can learn to, to, for a moment, see the world through the eyes of a person who sees it completely differently than we do. And, and then learn to say, to have the humility to say, I need the way that you see the world too. I can't be just locked in the in the little narrow myopic worldview that I have. I need to have all these other types of people in my life who can bring the richness of of the fullness mm. of of life mm. and of, of who God is, right? Because I do believe that each of these types represents a, a like each of these types represents a, a a dimension of God's person. Ones these perfectionists when they're doing real well, man. They represent the goodness of God. They care about being good. They care about improving the world. Twos, the love of God, these helpers. Threes, the, really the glory of God. Fours, the pathos, you know, and the beauty of God. Fives, the, the wisdom of God. Sixes, the unfailing loyalty of God. Sevens, the joy of God. Eights, the power and justice of God. And nines, the peace of God. And I want everybody to live into the, the, I want people to have all nine of those things happening yeah. in their lives, but I want them to richly live into the one that they really most, I want them to live into the fullness of that, which is really theirs to do. And, and I want you, if you're an eight, and I kind of think you are, I want you to enjoy the fact that you were made to reflect the power and the justice of God. And I want you to live that without the impediments that can come with having that personality style because if you over rely on the superpowers of the eight suddenly that which is good become that which is a blessing can become a blight does that make sense you know it does and i've learned so much and i hope that any of the folks that are listening haven't done this and take that time to sit down and listen that the opening up of a heart in that conversation is a gift mm. well this has been a gift you're a gift in my life and man, I'm so grateful you're here today. Love, love. Special episode. Thank you for being here with us. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. Hey, Typology Tribe, remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. <laughs> <laughs>